We have been talking, kind of hard to remember because there's been so many things that have come up on Sunday nights, but we have been talking about women. So let's go to, to Judges chapter 4. In our former Sunday school material, over many years it seemed like the story of Deborah came up every year. Like she was, she was in the cycle. And so the story of Deborah was, was very often repeated. Uh, Deborah holds a very unusual place, and I think it's quite appropriate as we have talked about women deacons. And again, I, let me just take this moment to encourage you, if you believe that that's you, that God has spoken service over you, and that, that, that even now, long before we started talking about it, service is the way that you have responded, uh, please let me know. We, right now, there are... Three women who have come and said very specifically that I know that I'm one of those who has been called to be a, a deacon. And so, you know, we're, we're very patient with this, but uh, I know that there's more than that. God has made that very clear. So that uh, if you know that you are and God has assigned that to you, you know that, that that's a call on your life, then uh, be ready to say, I, I know it's me and, and we'll, we'll move forward. But Deborah holds a very unique place. And I love reading the commentaries because every almost every commentary written by men says that Deborah did what she did because men wouldn't do what they were supposed to do. I want to tell you, I don't believe that for a second. To believe that God would only call a woman into a position like this because some man wouldn't step up and do it, I don't believe for a minute that means that, that it just, it's like the, that women couldn't be God's first choice. And I can't, I just can't agree with that. I think there was something powerfully unique about Deborah. I think that one of the main things we're going to hear and read within this scripture is that she is a woman who heard the voice of God. Now, maybe that's the case. Maybe there wasn't a man around who could hear the voice of God. But I want to tell you the uniqueness of her character was that she could hear the voice of God. I want to tell you that that ought to be the character, that ought to be the qualification and the characteristic of anyone who steps into leadership. And the Bible is very clear in the book of Acts for, for men and who step into the role as the deacon. It only gives two qualifications in Acts chapter 6, but one of those is that you're not to be a deacon unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know how to get around that, but either you are filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit becomes the expression of love and of life that comes out of us as deacons because I don't know how you learn to serve without him, but that's a qualification. That ought to be the qualification for anyone, every one of us who call ourselves Christian, filled with the Holy Spirit so that we will be able to do as, as Deborah has here. So we, we're going to begin in verse 4, verse chapter 4. For Judges, verse 1. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. And the Lord sold them into the hand of, of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazar, the captain of whose host was Sisera, which dealt in Heresheth of the Gentiles. And from everything that you can read about this, is that this was the lowest place of 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 great torture and of, and of oppression that Israel had ever faced. This was the worst 20 years. 
This was the worst situation that they had ever faced. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and 20 years he had mightily oppressed the children of Israel. And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, she judged Israel at that time. Now, we understand that during this time of Israel's history, they were ruled by judges. And we go down, you know, we can go through that list of men who were judges. And I want to tell you, uh, there's not a whole lot to brag about in that list. There's not a whole lot to brag about in that group of men who, as judges, led Israel. There are a few among the list, but most, most of them, again, there's, there's nothing really to brag about. Deborah's story was a pretty simple one. How did she get to be the leader? How did she get to be the head of Israel? How did she get to sit in the position as a judge? Because she was appointed and put there by God, and there is no other way that that would have happened. She was chosen, and she was blessed in that role. Now, again, you can, you can discredit women. You can change. You can qualify. You can say whatever you want to say. I have, I have one thing to say about her, and it's exactly what I would say about a man, is that she was put there by God, and that ends the conversation. She would not have been there otherwise. Verse 5, And she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in, in Mount Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. So it was very common for, for the judgment of the, that day and the governing of that day to be done out in the open. So she was sitting out in the open and the people would come to her with whatever situations they faced. And she sent and called Barak. And I'm going to probably just have to jump some of these names because, you know, or, or I'll just pause and let y'all call them out. The son of Abinoam out of Kadesh Naphtali and said to them, Had not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor, and take with thee 10,000 men of the children of Naphtali and of the children of Zebulun. So she asked this, saying, and saying it in such a way is to Barak, did you not already hear from God? Because when she, when she makes that statement, she said, uh, she called Barak and says, has not the Lord of God of Israel commanded you? So she's simply saying, I'm asking you a question. Did God speak to you? Do you know that this is what you're supposed to do? Now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even pause on this. But one of the things that we ought to understand well within the teaching and the practice of the New Testament church that we live in today is how God brings agreement between what I receive and what you receive. When we learn to step into a spiritual reality, we will step into, into agreement because I'm listening to the same spirit that you're listening to. And agreement should, should be, you know, very confident. When I, when I asked Doug about the $100,000 that we gave to, uh, to, to, uh, to, to the, for the building of that church and the orphanage in Mosseyland, I told him, I said, I don't want your generosity. I want your obedience. Because if God gave it to me, I believe that he would also give it to you. The same prompting that he gave me, he would give to you. We should seek and understand that agreement. We had in that funeral yesterday, uh, Miss Ellison had three kids, Margaret, Herschel, and Douglas. 
And Douglas caught me at the back, and he, you know, he said, when I joined the Navy, he said, I was saved in that revival with Freddie, Freddie Gage when over 100 were saved. And he said, I was saved and baptized at that, during, that, during that group. He said, when I joined the Navy shortly after high school, he said, I made a decision. He said, I was not going to be a hypocrite. So instead of, instead of walking by faith, he said, I just chose the other path and I turned my back on God. I turned my back on church. I turned my back on everything. He said, I lived that way for the next 50 years. He said at one point in there, a few years ago, he said, I went back to church. And he said, I hadn't been there long until that church began to squabble with each other and split. And he said, I'm sick of this and walked away a second time. I want to tell you that, as sad as that story is, that's not uncommon. It's not uncommon for the, for, to, to, for the Christian church today to be at odds with each other within the same church. And it's such a sad commentary on what we have, on what we have, have accepted. But it's because we are trying to have church from that line in the spirit down so that it's only soul and body. And we haven't learned to have church in the spirit. Where agreement is supposed to come. Where the God who speaks to me is the God who speaks to you. And when I ask you a question, did, did God speak to you? Did, you know, as, as Deborah's asking Barak, did God not say to you? Because she had confidence that what she had heard, he had also heard. She couldn't even have asked this question if she hadn't heard it. But she also knew that it had already come to him. I want to tell you, we ought to be pressing toward each other, looking for that agreement. When I ask you this morning to give for, that, for, the, for the finishing up of that orphanage, the $31,000 remaining that we needed, I'm not, I'm not asking you as, as you, as I say, as clearly as I can, I'm not asking you for generosity. I'm asking you to come into agreement with what God has spoken over that and then knowing in that in agreement, I can then ask, God, what part of that is mine? And to be able to call David today and tell him that the full $36,000 is now ready and available for your use. That's because we come into agreement. Not because we're, our, we have money rolling out of our pockets. It's because we come into agreement with the message in the heart of God. And it's not generosity, it's obedience. Verse 7, And I will draw unto thee to the river Kishon Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into your hands. So, so he's promised. Barak is promised that the victory has already been sealed. And Barak said unto her, if, if you will go with me, then I'll go. But if you won't go with me, I won't go. Isn't that interesting? How do you sum that up? Here's this military leader because even though she was judge, she didn't assume military leadership. That was in him. How do you, how do you calibrate this? What hits you? Why would he say that? Well, there's a few honorable reasons because you can believe that he knew that who she was, the strength that she brought, and even in certain cultures, especially Oriental cultures, you were absolutely going to take with you that which you thought was going to bring you the best result. 
But how does it actually come across? If he had heard from the Lord, if he had received the promise that the victory had already been secure, that everything had already been taken care of, and he's still asking that she's going, and we don't understand that that's because God said it, how does it come across? Yeah, it comes across as fear, it comes across as doubt, it comes across in any ways of uncertainty. And this is, what, this is what she says in response. And she said, I will surely go with you. So we don't even hear hesitation on her part of going into this military battle because she too had heard from God. I'll go with you then. Uh, but if thou, uh, she said, I will surely go with you, notwithstanding the journey that thou takest shall not be for thy glory. For the Lord shall sell Sisera into the hands of a woman and Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh and, Kadesh. and he said, she told him, she said, okay, I'll go with you. But you have to know what's fixing to happen. That, that no one's going to say what an amazing leader, what an amazing believer, man of faith Barak is. Now, we had the same potential here to set up the same story of Gideon. Gideon was also a man who was afraid. He was under the threshing floor when God, the angel of the Lord came to him and spoke and says, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. And with great hesitation, but under God's favor, Gideon leads a, a band of 300 men into battle with an army of 140,000 and is victorious. And none of the 300 men are hurt or injured. But victory comes. It was set up that way for Barak. And he said, but I won't go without Deborah. And Deborah's saying, that's fine, but they're not going to sing songs of Barak. People are not going to be naming their kids after you. They're going to be naming their daughters after me because I'm going to be the one that's going to be recognized. And she tells this to Barak. Verse 10, and Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and he went up with 10,000 men at his feet, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Canaanite, which was of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had severed himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent into the plains of something, which is by Kadesh. And they showed Sisera that Barak, was, uh, the son of Ben-Noam, was gone up to Mount Tabor. So he's basically saying, here's this man uh, who has chosen to be in alliance with this enemy general named Sisera. And Sisera gathered together all his chariots, even the 900 chariots of iron and all the people that were with him, from Herosheth of the Gentiles unto the river of Kishon. And Deborah said unto Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord hath delivered Sisera into thy hands. Is not the Lord gone out before thee? So Barak went down from the Mount Tabor and 10,000 men after him. So here, here clearly is the fact that Deborah has become the one who hears from God. Deborah is the one who has turned her ear. Her character has been so refined that she is willing to put herself and say, what I hear from the Lord, I'm willing to be obedient. And she speaks to her military leader and says, I, li I like the, 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 the simpleness of the words. She says, up. Get up. Do you not understand that this is the day that God has delivered this enemy general into your hands? This story gets more wild as it goes. Verse 15, and the Lord discomfited, or he caused confusion among this, this army of Sisera and all his chariots and all his hosts with the edge of the sword before Barak, so that Sisera lighted down off his chariot and fled away on his feet. 
So the, his army was in such disarray that this general, this enemy general, knowing that his chariot would certainly be recognized as the biggest and the most glamorous, left his chariot and headed out on foot. And I will tell you men, we need to pay close attention from this point forward. I would ask the women to not, not hear another thing. Men pay close attention to what happens in the rest of this story. But Barak pursued after the chariots and after the host until Heresheth of the Gentiles and all the hosts of Sisera fell upon the edge of the sword and there was not a man left. So every bit of the enemy army now was destroyed by the edge of the sword. Howbeit Sisera fled away on his feet to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenanite, the one who had come into association with the enemy. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said unto him, Turn in, my lord, turn in to, to me, fear not. And when he had turned in unto her into the tent, she covered him with a mantle. Now this was an expected behavior within the culture. He asked for refuge. She, he went into her tent. Knowing that, that he was in trouble, she covered him with a blanket or covered him with this mantle. And in verse, 9, and he said, in verse 19, and he said unto her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water to drink, for I'm thirsty. And she opened a bottle of milk and gave him drink and covered him. Again he said unto her, Stand in the door of the tent, and it shall be when any man doth come and inquire of thee, and say, Is there any man here? Thou shalt say no. And with that no... No man could enter. No man with that no could enter into her chamber. All right. Again, men listen. Women ignore everything I'm fixing to say. Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a nail of the tent and took a hammer in her hand and went softly unto him and smote the nail into his temple and fastened it into the ground for he was fast asleep and weary, so he died. Yeah. That had to be abrupt. She was so nice to him. See, see men, this is what I'm trying to get to. <laughs> she was so nice. She gave him the water, put him to bed, covered him up. He told her, said, you know, you know, if you stand at the door and anybody comes, and she's, you can, she's saying, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that for you. The minute he goes to sleep, she goes and gets a nail, probably a stake in which held the tent, probably about that long, with a hammer, held it to his temple as he lay there, hit it with a hammer, drove it through his head, drove it into the ground, and secured him there. I have other comments that I could make there to make this more graphic, but I, with kids here, I'll choose not to. But have you ever seen a chicken that, that had his head cut off? You can get a graphic from that as to what, ha what, what was actually happening to him uh, in those moments, because it simply says, here he died. I don't think it happened quite that way. That had to be a very different picture. So men, what's the lesson here? <laughs> yeah.
Yeah, stay in your own tent. There's a good lesson right there. <laughs> Don't go messing around somebody else's tent. What, what else could, could we learn, men? You cowards, say it. <laughs> not, not a single one of us here brave enough to say what's on every one of our minds. Okay. Do what? Hide the hammer. That's exactly right. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I could have explained a lot of this, couldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I don't know if everybody heard what Barry said, but I wonder how many times she hit him with the hammer before she actually hit the stake. So. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's the big hammer and, yeah. Whoosh. Maybe, <laughs> maybe this wasn't the first time she had done that. Yeah. Maybe she had been practicing. Yeah. That's exactly right, because it's so strange when you read this. Everybody says here that she's acting in this extreme disobedience because there, there's no way that you can justify this behavior. But it's kind of strange that God had just caused such a disruption in, in his army that uh, it was not also by God's hand that this was, that this was accomplished. It was so strange because the, the, the woman that I was reading who wrote about Deborah, you know, it was, it was actually a woman who was saying that, that that uh, this woman, J.L., was acting in such disobedience and such a lack of faith. I personally uh, don't assign her that responsibility and, and do believe that she was acting according to what she was supposed to do. Because when you actually read this, the song of Deborah, which is in the next chapter, she is praised for this, for this action. And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, J.L. came out to meet him and said unto him, Come, I will show thee that the man who thou seekest. And when he came into her tent, behold, Sisera lay dead, and the nail was in his temples. So God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. I love the story because it comes at the hands of Deborah. It came at the hands of someone who God chose, who according to all history was an unlikely choice. But I want to tell you, the, the only reason it's unlikely is because of gender, but because if you remove that, every other qualification that was necessary for someone to stand and be the judge and the leader of Israel, she had it all. She had the courage, she had the faith, she had the trust in God. She had the willingness to hear and the desire to be obedient when she heard. That's what made her stand out. And I love it at the end when it said, under her leadership, Israel prospered. She was good for, for, for what she had done, and she was good for her people. And uh, if you want to, when you get a chance, you can go to the next chapter and read the song that, uh, that, that she sang over this, over this day and over this victory. Quite a, had to be quite a lady. Uh, 
Can't believe nobody got a picture of her so that we could actually see what she looked like. Any comments? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this teaching and Lord for this amazing witness of this uh, powerful woman. Not powerful because of herself, but powerful because of you. She listened and she obeyed. She did what you ask each one of us to do. I thank you, Lord, that we can come and see the great victory that was won, that she refused to come into agreement, into treaty, or accept in any way that, that, that having an enemy was acceptable. I thank you, Lord, for the picture that we receive of, of your justice and your judgment and the thoroughness and the swiftness in which you dealt on behalf of your children. We know, Lord, that you tell us today that vengeance belongs to you. We leave it right there, knowing that you're perfectly good and, and, and able to, to bring judgment and vengeance where we would do so poorly at it. So, Lord, we thank you for this witness for this, of this great woman, and let it speak to us, Lord, so that we can also see what she did, understand her faith, and as she did, we can also obey and see the greatness that you bring in Jesus' name. Amen.